It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. It takes a lot of hard work to make it look easy. This Mother's Day, Duluth Trading Co. can help you give her something that keeps up. Whether you prefer to shop online or in-store, Duluth has a motherload of gear, goods, and gifts to keep her comfortable and capable, no matter what needs doing. With Duluth's problem-solving details and legendary durability to boot, you'll finally be mom's favorite again. Check out DuluthTrading.com for all your Mother's Day gifting needs. Welcome to the BBC Country Farm Magazine podcast. The podcast that takes you on adventures into the countryside, meets interesting people, talking about rural affairs and dealing with some of the big rural issues. My name is Fergus Collins and I'll be your host today. It's late March, it's a really sunny day and I'm in the middle of Wiltshire in Westwoods, famous for its bluebells but I'm a little bit early for them. But I'm not in search of wildlife today. Today, I'm looking for a ditch. <laughs> but it's not any old ditch. It's a massive rampart that runs across Wiltshire, from Marlborough to Bristol, really. It's called the Wandsdyke. And it has sort of great significance for the period between the end of the Romans in Britain and the invading Anglo-Saxons. It's sort of the Hadrian's Wall of the... Um, 6th century. Not many people know about it, so I thought I'd come and have a look for it. I heard about it, and I've seen it on maps, and I have actually walked a little bit before. Oh, there's a nut hatch. There are coal tits, blue tits, wrens. Not hatches have such a range of voices. Anyway, I've walked a little bit of one stake before, but I hadn't realised its significance. I just thought, this is a strange little ditch. It's not a little ditch. It runs for 12 miles. I mean, 12 miles. It came to my attention again recently when I was reading a book I just picked up by chance called King, Arthur, King Arthur's Wars, and um, written, by, written by a military historian called Jim Storr. The premise of this book is that the Romans left Britain, but they left the people who were left behind carried on the Roman tradition of and they dug these defensive ditches across Britain to stop the Saxons from plundering their uh, hard won lands. And the Wandstike was one of these. And so, um, well, it'd be interesting to see it. It looks like a lovely walk through beautiful countryside, so it's a good excuse to get out. So I'm somewhere called Westwoods. Now, I've never been here before. It's just south of Marlborough. Uh, very, very tall beech trees with very open under understories with rushes and what looked like bluebells growing. And the Wandsdyke begins, or certainly there's evidence for it within these woods. So I'm going to start looking for it here. And I've got my ordnance survey map here on my phone. And I'm getting close by look of things. 
and we'll see what we can see. So I'm hoping there's going to be an impressive ditch to follow. Like, so what they built was a ditch and then a rampart, which would have been defended. Okay, so now I'm on the Wandsdyke Trail. At the moment, all I can see is these stately trees, really tall and thin, quite tightly packed together, but mostly beeches. I'm just on a dirt path through the woodland, bramble understory, a few holly, small holly trees. Not much else. Very peaceful, a bit, bit cathedral-like actually, with these tall, like columns in a cathedral. Just a few nut hatches. Just me, no one around. No one in the car park. If I say that, I can just see a dog walk a miles ahead. So what I plan to do is walk through these woods, see if I can find this Wandsdyke. But I know that up on the nearby is the Marlborough Downs, the edge of the Marlborough Downs. And um, the Wandsdyke runs across the top of those, and it's very impressive there. So hopefully, walk a bit of the open down, a bit of woodland, a bit of open downland. Got tea in my bag, sandwiches, and ready for action. Now, weirdly, there is a ditch, or a sort of mound, a rampart running through the woods. It's only oh, five feet high at the moment, just off to my left but it will be running alongside my path quite soon. So that is the Wandsdyke. Someone's out shooting, there's always someone out shooting in Wiltshire. So this is a very clear map through the woods. And the whole point about the Wandsdyke and these ditches is that they, they're massively long. And uh, and this is at least six foot high here. And I think it's supposed to, the ditch is on the sort of where you would expect attackers to come from. So that's faces to the north. And your defenders would stand on the top. Now it runs for 12 miles, so I can't see how anybody, you know, the small war bands of the 6th century how they could possibly defend that. But then reading Jim Storr's book, it sounds like, yes, spies could come and go, but you would have people with farms right up against this, and they'd keep an eye out the whole time. So if there's any large movement, you could quickly mobilise your defences. The whole point of these ditches is that it's actually really difficult to attack up them. Now, it's probably much reduced in height, what I can see is you have to climb, you'd have to climb up that. And, you, and Jim, Jim Storr's theory is that as you're climbing up, you'd have to put a hand down to steady yourself, which would allow the attacker a free shot at you with his spear or axe or, or her spear or axe. But it probably also worked as a probably also worked as a mental barrier with this earthwork. You kind of it was a statement. This is our boundary. You can't come across here. It's so peaceful, there's not a breath of wind. Now, 
It would be nice today to find some more signs of spring. It's clearly, it's a warm day. It's late March. Chiff-chaffs have arrived. And there is one chiff-chaff singing in the very distance. We'll get closer to them in a bit. Just, uh, so those, it's only been a week since I've been hearing chiff-chaffs. But hopefully black caps are arriving. It's a great tit and a great spotted woodpecker. And really, there's just bluebells everywhere. As I walk along, I can hear rustling in the undergrowth. It's not birds, it's little voles. There's that male chaffinch again. So much good bird life here. Sounds of an English woodland in early spring. I could listen to that forever. So, Wonsdyke. Why is it called Wonsdyke? Um, from my detailed and intense research, I discovered that it was called Wonsdyke by the Anglo-Saxons. Wonsdyke is Woden's Dyke, Woden's Ditch. So they were so impressed by it, they thought it had been built by a god. So who exactly did build it? Well, uh, no one really knows, and no one knows exactly when it was built. built but it's thought to be, have been built before or, or as the Anglo-Saxons were um, appearing on the scene, so invading from sort of North Germany, Denmark, that uh, sort of low, low countries, North Germany, that sort of area. They came over in sort of waves of some invited, some definitely not invited. They started taking over Eastern England, southern, southeastern England, from the existing people who were the, the people left over, you know, the, the sort of Romanized Britons, some more Romanized than others. And they, uh, they were left to their own devices once the legions had left sometime in the 5th century. They, you know, lots of them were trained in Roman law and Roman engineering, but obviously didn't have the once you lost the, the legions and some sort of centralised governance, things broke down a bit. These ditches and dikes, and there are many across the landscape, are thought to have been dug as a response by, by Roman-trained or engineers with Roman knowledge, because they're going quite straight lines and they require a lot of, well, real engineering skill. It would be difficult to build these today let alone when you don't have in a period where you don't have JCBs and huge earth moving machines. These are all dug by hand. It's incredible to look. I mean I millions of man hours, millions of man hours and woman hours. And Jim Storr's theory is that these are often built to defend around or across 
Roman roads. So, because Roman roads were really the only way you could move large numbers of people as jackdaws over there. The only way you could move large numbers of soldiers, armed men, was on the roads. Or anyway, trade could move was on the roads because uh, the rest of the countryside was, was quite hard to, you know, it was either wooded or marshy. What I liked about Jim Stall's book, now there's been lots of criticism of it, and I've seen lots of review, reviews that I disagree with some of his premises. But he has looked at the whole landscape from the viewpoint of a military historian. So looking for what he calls sort of command and strategic. So these, the dikes and ditches that we see today, the landscape would have been very different. They might look quite short and easy, easily flanked, but actually they go from what would have been a bog or some sort of treacherous thicket, or thick wood, to another. So they just block the gaps, the roads or the, the easy paths through. And so you didn't need to completely encircle your kingdom or your 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 land, whatever land your tribe held. I just like that he looked at he's looked at the landscape as it was, as far as we can tell. But looking at place names, the names of um, farms, uh, they give a give a lot of clues to what was actually there in those sort of period where there's no real written records that's the problem hardly any written records from the period sort of 400 to 600 AD so in Britain so we don't have a lot of evidence about what actually happened so you have these ditches and earthworks and while a lot of people might think oh god boring old ditch and we've had those discussions as a team uh, oh not another feature about earthworks but they do they, there's stories here and there's magic in these landscapes. Just looking at a tree creeper. He's scurrying up like a little mouse. Up a beech tree. He's got a lovely little downward curved bill, white underbelly. great tit and a blue tit cursing me up above yes okay and the little tree mouse the tree creeper is just scooching up and uh, he's flown on to the next tree trunk they kind of do that go up high and then seem to fly down to the bottom of the next tree and start work their way up the trunk The chatter of our great tits. They're <laughs> great. They are great. I once um, was lucky enough to talk to Bill Oddie, and he uh, told me about great tits. There's ever a bird song in the woodland that you can't identify. It's a great tit. Because they have such a broad repertoire. I'm walking back across the crunchiest um, beach leaves, beach leaf litter, really dry. So, yeah, you couldn't stalk anyone here or anything. But what it does mean is if you stay still 
as I did earlier, walking along the one stake, I could hear little voles rustling around on it. So back to um, back to the one stake, I think, and out into the open. Back on top of the one stake, I can see the edge of the woods now. Open farmland. Now, one of the it is a peopled landscape. These woods are lovely, and it is lovely hearing spring bird song. It's a bit cool for any spring butterflies like um, brimstones. But maybe later today, um, <laughs> two wrens fighting. <laughs> but the farmland here, apart, this is the Marlborough Downs and surrounds, is very intensively farmed. So. Apart from one or two very notable nature reserves, Fifield Down and Pusey Downs Nature Reserve, there's a few others. Yeah, that was a vole. I can see it. <laughs> I can see a vole scurrying through the little tiny vole. Just shows this dry leaf litter. It means it's very hard for them to, to find. I rarely see voles. A little field vole or bank vole or something like that. It's impossible to tell. Some birds alarm call up ahead. Sometimes when you hear alarm calls in the woods, it means there's a sleepy owl being bothered by this little wren here. They get alarmed at everything. Yeah, so the farmland is, it's, it, I mean, it really is heavily, heavily farmed. So, Whereas perhaps in the past, if you read if you read W. H. Hudson's A Shepherd's Life, he wrote a lot about the Wessex Downs, Marlborough Downs, and Salisbury Plain. Um, there was a lot of a lot of sheep farming and a lot of wild meadows, and he talks about the sort of colours of all the wildflowers. Hard to find that in these downs now, which sort of breaks my heart. I would love to have seen that so still in these woods but on the edge there's just a bit of wind coming over yes i can see it absolutely it's like a desert plowed freshly plowed field and then harrowed however there's a lovely lovely walk along here and blackthorn in blossom so it's a hedge between me and this field and i'm just going to wander along see what ah hazel coppices so it's a bank of hazel coppices along the top of the um, wood pigeons, right along the top of the wandstike here. Oh, I'm going to have the wandstike as a companion for quite a long time now. Chiff chaff. Chiff chaff. Literally, it's literally saying winter is over. I don't know what that really high-pitched thing, I don't know if that's... I'm imagining that's a great hit.
There's a large bird of prey over the woods, but I can only see fleeting glimpses. I suspect a buzzard. Dog's mercury. It's a kind of green early spring plant with almost negligible flower. Um, it kind of looks like mint in the, if you were squinting. Covers the gut, but now wooden, wooden enemies and, and wood sorrel. So t- these wooden enemies are lovely. Now they are, there's only a small patch here. They're the beautiful spring flower, just shivering in the wind. They're called windflowers as well. White with a yellow center, white petals, so delicate. If you get a really big patch of it, it can be as impressive as bluebells. Yeah, this is a lovely spot here. It's really sun-warmed edge of the woods. And the one's like acting like a sort of sun trap. So, nut hatch. Weep, 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 weep. Do that again. Thank you. Now, there's a big hole in the ground. This looks like a badger set. Yeah, it's a badger set, but not in use. Massive hole in the one's dike set. And a lot of archaeologists find out um, the building materials of these ancient sites because of rabbits and badgers and other things digging. It's what they throw out. I was about to dismiss a large whitish butterfly as just a large white, but actually it was a female brimstone. So good, it's warmed up now. And a good time to sit and have a cup of tea and see what turns up. So I finally emerged from Westwoods onto a bit of rolling downland and with the Wonsdyke on my left to the south. It's quite a shallow mound now and the ditch is negligible um, I imagine this is because this has been farmed and ploughed out and it's um, but there are trees, there's sort of a hedgerow along the top of it and it probably was used as a stock barrier but it's you know you could step over it here whereas previously it was up to six feet deep in the woods where the farm machinery couldn't get to it I mean just cuts across the land. You can hear there's far less life here. Just broad open fields. But the woods are behind me. A lovely big band of exciting wildlife rich adventures. Gosh, the ones that one's like almost flat now as we get out into the farmland. But I know it rises again the further I get on to, up onto the top of the downs. One nice thing is this. Lovely flints everywhere, beautiful flints. I'm going to have to collect one. Really beautiful. Um, proper sort of chalk. Oh, there we go. Good sound of flint hitting flint. And I actually, by pure chance, dropped it and splintered off a nice chip. Fillet a fish with it. The footpath is now directing me away from the one stike. And the next section is on private farmland, so you can't follow it. 
um, which is disappointing. Uh, but my, the route now goes south past Shore Copse to the deserted medieval village of Shore. So I'm expecting thatch cottages and no, I'm expecting lumps in the ground. I'm walking past a field of, on my right, a field of um, very smelly oilseed rape. Some buzzards now taking off into the... It's late morning now. It must be about 11 o'clock. And um, it's quite warm. Plenty warm enough for the buzzards to be catching thermals off the downs. Yellowhammer singing on the edge of um, a field of oilseed rape. The ground is so flinty. Just looking at the ploughed ground, it's literally all flint. So I'm heading back across this little patch of downland. The old pheasant again. Back towards Westwoods. Well, I'm going to loop back to my car and drive around this big section of fenced off Wandsdyke and then have a look at it on more on the open downland and maybe have a spot of lunch somewhere. So it'll probably take me half an hour to get back to the car where I'll record anything that I. A little bit of bread, no cheese. This is so. Glorious sunshine now. It's actually hot, hot, hot. It's beautiful to have so much bird life around here. Not in the open air, not in the open areas, but on the edge of these woods, it's fantastic. And my second brimstone has just gone by. Absolutely, the yellowest butterfly you could hope for. So we've got a yellow brimstone and a yellow hammer together. Perfect march sort of sightings and sounds. So I've come a bit further west, probably 10 miles west, um, taking the A361 sort of south of Avebury through the downs. It's amazing. Yeah, this incredible view of sweeping downland. And then you see the Wandsdyke, and it is incredibly impressive as it comes running over the hills. It really does look a bit like Hadrian's Wall. Um, so I've parked up on the top of a down and I can look to the north. I can see some rolling downs. There's the village town of Culm and the National Trust property of Cheryl, Cheryl Monument, a sort of tower to uh, some worthy. Um, 
and some horse horse gallops. People keep horses, little woods down in the valleys. Um, but I'm currently walking on a Roman road, which seems to stretch east-west. From, and uh, I'm heading east along it, and I'm also on the in the lee of the um, Ronsdyke again. There's a little covey of partridges, partridges, red-legged partridges. A strong smell of fox here. Really rank smell of fox. It's so distinctive. So this is Morgan's Hill, Wiltshire Wildlife Trust Reserve. This is exciting. So there's quite a big nature reserve here. I have a little look around. But I'm going to follow the Wandstike. The path takes me actually into the ditch of the Wandstike now. The nature reserve is so different. There's tufts of grass. There's uh, there's ant hills here. It hasn't been ploughed. Just looks more interesting than the threadbare ploughed landscapes, mole hills. So I'm heading now towards two telegraph masts, which must be at least 100 foot high, um, on this Morgan Hill, Morgan's Hill. And I'm still following the Wandsdyke, which is now 12 feet high, 10 feet high, and, and the ditch is massive. So here you can really see that it's yeah, intent, yeah proper defensive a proper defensive purpose. So you'd come up a steep hill from the Cheryl Vale the Cheryl Vale down there. And then you'd be faced by this ditch at the top. You'd go down the ditch and then clamber up. Sheer start sight. I mean the amount of work here, I've got to take some photos. This is just incredible. There's a lovely, there's a lovely flock of brown sheep with white faces. Look very like herdwicks to me. Sometimes you get them outside the Lake District. They're normally Lake District animals, but um, yeah, here they are. Must be a little flock of thirty or forty, actually in the Wandsdyke ditch of the Wandsdyke. The Wandsdyke is really impressive here. It's a big cleft through the landscape. You've got to think about the number of people who must have worked on this. So no one really knows who built it, but it's believed to be built in the period of the the 5th century, so 400s AD, late 5th century, early 6th century. So the people who built it are very likely to have had connections to the Romans. The Romans had only left perhaps say so it's 450, some say 410, but there's evidence that Romans, Roman society is still maintained in its relatively intact until the sort of 450s, maybe later. It really depends. I mean, the whole... So it would have been built, logically, it would have been built by people who had knowledge of Roman engineering. And I kind of like that. Oh, there's some barrows on the top as well, on the north side, the defender's side. I'm walking on the... Sorry, on the south side. I'm walking on the north side. So I am walking where an attacker would be. Clearly, there has to be some threat. It's a bit sort of a Game of Thrones, building this great wall. Now I'm going to get a view here, down into the next sort of downland valley, past the farm and then up the next hill.
and it just goes on and on over the ridges. Oh, a red kite. Red kite coming over. And a bird singing in this bush. It's a yellowhammer, I think. That's its kind of contact, little contact call. I'm just going to imagine, though, so I'm standing now as a defender, a Romano-British commander. No, foot soldier, that's what I'd be. And uh, I'm just looking down the line of the Wandsdyke, thinking, who, who am I afraid of to have built this? What a lonely spot to have to defend. But you'd probably be up here with your flocks. You'd send word quickly when you saw the enemy's, when the sun glinting off the enemy's spear tips. And by the time they got here, because you can see for miles, you'd be ready. It was Jim Storr's book, King Arthur's Wars, that inspired me to revisit the Wandsdyke. So I emailed him in the hope of finding out a bit more about his theories and maybe having a discussion with him. And I was delighted to hear back from him. He's happy to chat uh, about Roman and Saxon history in the countryside. And you can hear what he had to say in our next podcast. And you can find out lots more about rural history, wildlife and heritage at our website at countryfile.com and in the pages of Countryfile magazine, which is available from most larger newsagents and supermarkets. This has been a podcast for BBC Countryfile magazine. Thank you so much for listening.